0: Hey, cis! From coast to coast, we're bridging the gap between the cisgender and transgender community, creating meaningful dialogue and space to learn and grow.
1: Join us as we connect with our community, break down tough conversations, and get comfortable being better humans. When we use things like not appropriate, like it puts, it makes the other person feel like they've done something wrong. Mm -hmm. I think when you're learning, as long as you're learning with an open heart and you're not being an asshole, I don't think you're doing anything wrong, even if you use the wrong language.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the 28th episode of Hey Says. My name is Isaac. And before we dive in, I just want to take a quick second to thank each and every one of our listeners for taking the time to listen and engage with our podcast. For myself, hosting a podcast was a really daunting task, and it is a great privilege to be able to showcase and share the stories of so many amazing 2SLGBTQ plus individuals. It's hard to believe that we're already on our 28th episode and are soon wrapping up our second season, with many more exciting guests to come in Season 3. So on behalf of myself and Sin, we want to really thank you for your time. Now for all the potential youth listening, the following episode you are about to listen to contains discussions of a sexual manner, and viewer discretion is advised. Now without further ado, it brings me great honor today to welcome today's guest, Andrew Gerza. Andrew, they he, is an award winning disability awareness consultant and the chief disability officer and co founder of Bumpin, a sex toy designed for and by disabled people. Andrew identifies proudly as disabled and has spoken all over the world on sex, disability, and what it means to be a queer cripple. Welcome to Hey Sis, Andrew. I appreciate you immensely taking the time uh, out of your your schedule to uh, to chat with me.
1: Oh, no, thank you. I, I appreciate all the shifting around and moving and all that like, i i'm I'm also thankful, so I'm glad to be here.
0: So awesome. Um so I'll jump right into it then um if you're if you're feeling good. Yeah, yeah, I'm good to go. Awesome. All right, so first off here, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, where were you born and where do you call home?
1: Oh, wow uh that's usually not how the tell me tell me about yourself questions start usually uh but all right hi hi my name is Andrew Gerza. I'm a disability awareness consultant and disabled content creator I was born in Orange County California but I was raised in Toronto Canada so I call Toronto home and I live in Toronto um but I was
0: born in California that's really exciting and so do you have dual citizenship or do you find yourself in the U.S. a lot no, I did. Well, not, well, recently, no, because the pandemic
1: stopped the world. But uh, but I in the previous years, I've done a lot of traveling back and forth to the U.S. for talks that I give, because I also, as a disability awareness consultant, my job is to talk about sexuality and disability. So I, I speak a lot about that in, in, in talks and podcasts and things like this. So yeah, I, I travel a lot for work.
0: And uh, this is the nitty gritty question, um, but uh, maybe let's dive into a little bit about your experiences as a queer disabled person. Um, what's it like living in Toronto uh, as a queer disabled person? Um,
1: inaccessible is the first word that I would, that comes to mind. Most of Toronto, we have a, a strip in our city called Church and Wellesley, which is where all the all the queer disabled people kind of co- kind of cohabitate in Toronto. Um, I don't know where you're based, but in Toronto is where kind of the queer scene is. And every bar on the strip where everybody goes is inaccessible. They all have stairs going up to them. So my experience of queerness as a full-time wheelchair user, oh yeah, I guess I should back up. I'm a full-time wheelchair user. I live with um, cerebral palsy. I need help in my care with All the things that you took for granted this morning, like brushing your teeth, putting on a shirt, like going to the bathroom by yourself, all of those things I require a person for. So I am very, very, I like to call it super disabled because I'm really disabled. Um, And so, you know, my experience of queerness is also kind of marked by that because queer, particularly queer men, the community that I look to for sexual partners or partners in general they're super ableist and I don't feel connected to my queerness a lot in those in the community in fact I don't like going to queer spaces because
0: I'm just not included and do you feel that's a big barrier and I'll make it more specific within the Toronto area um, for yourself to to get involved within the community do you feel like accessibility is a is a big issue
1: yeah, a hundred percent. I feel like, like I was saying, most of the bars in, in the in the city are not accessible. I can't go to most of the, the like top bars where everything happens, and where you go to meet somebody, or where you'd have like a sex party, or where you like all the queer stuff that happens would happen. Um, so I think accessibility is a big issue, and a lot of the bars in Toronto, when I've approached them and said you should make, we should find a way to make your space more accessible, they'll say things like, oh, we don't have the money. And then I look at their Friday and Saturday night roster of people coming in, and I go, "All these people patronized your bar and paid a cover charge to be here, or you know bought a ticket to be at this event." And you're telling me you can't find the money, and I, I find that a little bit, um, you know, a little bit silly because we have fundraisers all across North America all the time for HIV and AIDS at bars. I see this all the time in like New York and like Washington and all the places where. All the big queer I and mean, like LA, all the big queer places where things happen, there's always fundraisers happening for queerness, right? So my question is, why the fuck aren't we having why aren't we having like drag queens and go-go boys and these all these big lavish things to promote accessibility? Why yeah. can't we have a fundraiser for a ramp at a club? Why can't we have a fundraiser for proper access to a club? Like I just think that the number of dollars that white cis able-bodied gay men have could be, could really be used to fix this problem.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it's crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm not into economics or anything like that, but I wouldn't assume that it would be very expensive (laughs) either to, to install a ramp or to at least have, have an option for more accessibility, especially since, uh, as we know in Toronto, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of money there.
1: Yeah, there's, like there's there's a ton of money there and i think i think we just what that boils down to is the queer community and i've said this before and i'll say it again the queer community is ableist and we have a lot of work to do to fix our ableism, figure out why don't you want these people in here why don't you care enough to make it accessible if if a if a queer bar said and this is not the same thing but it sort of is but it's also not if a queer bar said you know, we don't, we're not going to allow trans people in or non binary in the community would be up in fucking arms. Mm-hmm. Or if they said, you know, we're not going to allow queer people of color in tonight, are you kidding? The world, we, we would be up in fucking arms. But for some reason, when it comes to disabled people wanting access to the same kind of space, it's like, okay, well, sorry, we can't get the money. Good luck to you. Bye.
0: Yeah. And, and it's easy it's easy for organizations too to fall on that idea that like oh it's a financial thing like we can't afford to do it meanwhile to your point exactly like they're able to bring in all these you know drag queens and drag kings and drag performers and performers in general and pay a whole lot of money to have them perform yet can't put in you know a 200 500 dollar ramp uh so that individuals who need access um have access so yeah
1: it just boggles my mind and it will never be something that I'm okay with and I will never understand why people think that queer disabled people don't deserve access to the same spaces that that other non-disabled counterparts have
0: yeah yeah it's it's interesting um so we're we're based in um, in Nova Scotia, or I should say Halifax, more in particular. And um, I don't know if you've ever <laughs> had the opportunity to come over to the East Coast here, but I uh, have.
1: I, I love Halifax. It's a great city.
0: Yeah. Um, and when
1: I when I was there, I was there a couple of years ago for for in twenty eighteen for Halifax Pride. I was a speaker there. Oh, and awesome! I, and I loved it. I fell in love with the city, and I was like, I could move here tomorrow. I'm a I'm a small town boy i was raised just outside of toronto so like i you know the i thought i would want to move to the big city for like you know all the big city queerness and then when i got here i was like oh yeah this is not what i wanted necessarily so if i could move to a small town and and still have access to my sexuality i would i would totally move there
0: yeah yeah i was i was going to say too so when i travel through halifax the one, one of the biggest questions that I always have in my head is like how are individuals with disabilities more in particular uh disabilities within like mobile like difficulties moving around how are they able to get around in Halifax because if you're on I'm going to use locations but <laughs> that you might not know but if you're on Barrington Street Halifax is pretty accessible if you're going you know east to west but as soon as you start to try and turn to go up yeah. like Spring Garden Road, it's like a 90 degree angle.
1: That There's one hill out there. I can't remember where I was. My my friend and I that was taking care of me when I was there. We had to go up one hill to get somewhere to go to lunch to meet somebody. And I have never been in a more hilly place. Yeah. Like I was even in San Diego and San Diego was less hilly than Hellerback. I was like, wow, this is wow. So like, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, and people people don't think about it because you know you're just like oh I'm just gonna walk up Spring Garden Road no big deal I'm gonna go here but I think like you don't think and I I mean for myself um, I identify as disabled you know I'm fortunate to have mobility but definitely reduced mobility and there's been days that I'm like fuck this like I cannot get up this damn hill for the life of me and I just yeah. kind of sit there and I'm like I don't know what to do and there's there's not a whole lot of options but I know at least. um, you know knock on wood hopefully um Halifax is doing a little bit more to become more accessible but I'm I'm always curious about spots like Toronto because they like to pride themselves in being accessible but then I'm I'm like I don't I don't know if you actually
1: are (laughs) we we have a lot of work to do to be accessible um you know the subways in Toronto we have all these subways spots in Toronto and only I think last time I checked 44 percent no yeah like 22% of the
0: subways were actually accessible.
1: Wow. So when we look at accessibility, like we have a
0: lot of work to do. I yeah. yeah, and out of everything you would think like a subway would be probably the most accessible out of uh, compared to like a bus or anything like that. Like that's wild.
1: Yeah, and I mean the subway the subway is not uh is also not accessible in a whole other way because like, you know, sometimes the subway doesn't line up to the to the track Mm -hmm. exit. And so sometimes if you do it wrong, uh, if you, they line up in in improperly and you go to, you go to get off the subway, you could fall. Mm -hmm. So like we have a lot of work to do.
0: Yeah. So jumping, jumping back a little bit, um, and in your, in your bio, um, you identify as a cripple and I know personally, you know, reclaiming terms, um, especially those historically used as slurs, can be really, really important um, to develop and uh, grow one's identity. For instance, the word queer is one that I use personally that some folks may not, I enjoy it. Um, but can you maybe share about why you identify as a cripple and what that term means to you and how you choose to re- chose to reclaim it?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I love that term a lot, and I, I use it quite purposefully in the work that I do because when I use words like queer cripple, it makes people sit up and take notice because they go, oh, didn't they just say something inappropriate? Like, oh, isn't that a bad word? I think I should pay attention now. So it makes them like immediately perk up and want to know what I'm talking about to see if I'm saying something wrong. And then I just hit them with a bunch of ableism and be like, that's what we're actually talking about is ableism. And I'm using that language to make you pay attention to me. And also for me, I use that word because I'm like, I know what you already think about me. I know that you think I am, you know, less than. I know you think I'm not viable, particularly for queer men. I know you think that I'm not sexy. So like I'm gonna put this word out there and I'm gonna play with this to be like, fuck you, you don't get to define me. And I'm already gonna I'm gonna reclaim the words so that when you try to throw some shit at me, I'll be like, Don't worry, I know, I already know where you're going. Like, I got this. So for me it's reclamation and also like a reminder that being crippled is powerful and being crippled is important. Now, I wouldn't recommend like saying this to like random disabled people on the street. Don't, don't do that. But like, if somebody's telling you this language is important for them, you should listen.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Because I can only imagine like, as soon as you, you would say it, it would definitely get some you know i'm just thinking of like a dog ear like ears perk up they're like oh like what's he saying like what are they saying um yeah because i i you know queer is definitely different completely different connotation especially in the year 2022 where where so many folks are reclaiming it i feel like it's it's becoming more synonymous with uh 2s lgbtq um but uh you know the the very emotionally charged slurs i think those are the ones that I I really um, appreciate when folks reclaim them and use them as their own. Um, But your point is, is very important to say, you know, don't go out in the streets and (laughs) start using these terms towards random people you see, because uh, you'll probably get uh, met with a a little bit of anger. You'll probably get run over or like, you know, they won't
1: be very happy. And I I think also, you know, with language around disability, I think um, my I've softened a bit to it because a lot of people don't know that the language around disability changes. So, a lot of people still use words like special needs, handicapped. Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of what other ones there are. There are so many others that I can't think of right now, but like those two are the ones that come to mind special needs and handicapped. And like I try to listen to how they're using the word. Are you weaponizing it against me or is it just something that you don't understand? For instance, people who, when my mom was raising me in the 80s, oh, I feel so old just saying that. But when my mom was raising me in the 80s, like, you know, the terms that she had to use raising me was special needs. So she'll still refer to disabled people as, you know, people with special needs. And I could cringe and I could be like, mm, mom, that's not the right language. And I have done, there was a, when we were at an airport one time, I like called her out for using special needs because I was frustrated with her. And like, so we, and she stopped me and said, she said, well, am I hurting you? And I said, no. She said, well, if I'm not hurting you, like, and not intentionally trying to do this to you, does it, is it really worth yelling at me right now? And I was like, oh, probably not. So it's allowed me to like, look at how people are using language and try to look at the intent behind the words and then be like, oh, should I address this or can I let it go?
0: Mm. That's a, that's a really interesting point. Yeah, because, because sometimes it can be difficult, especially if, you know, um, and feel free, feel free to jump in if I'm if I'm saying anything that, uh, that speaks to you. But um, if you're if you're trying to explain, you know, your disability to another individual who might not have the same amount of knowledge, especially older individuals, um, you kind of have to fall on a lot of those terminologies that might be a little bit more Outdated not
1: appropriate angry. yeah yeah i don't think i wouldn't use not appropriate i would just think outdated i think when we use things like not appropriate like it puts it makes the other person feel like they've done something wrong mm-hmm. and i think when you're learning as long as you're learning with an open heart and you're not being an asshole i don't think you're doing anything wrong even if you use the wrong language very similar to what we're doing with trans and non-binary community members now of like hey what are your pronouns mm-hmm. like and you know my pronouns change constantly and I fuck up my own pronouns all the time. And so like, I think that we need to, we need to be not dismissive, not like forget that people can say mean things, but just be aware that people are learning. It's a learning process. Dismantling ableism and dismantling all those things is a learning process. We have to be open to letting people learn where they are and not expect them to, to know tomorrow. And I think, you know, our, social media world now has this like false expectation of like, if you don't know, you're somehow less than. And I feel like that's a problem.
0: Yeah. I love that. I really, really love that. And it, and it really, really speaks to um, your advocacy work. And I, and I wanted to ask too, um, was there anything you know in particular kind of within your childhood as you were growing up that kind of sparked your passion to go down the route of advocacy more particular towards yourself i know as a as a wheelchair user as a disabled person as a queer person um, of course we're going to advocate for ourselves but more importantly for for others and for whole communities um that's a big question sorry <laughs> i'm loading them up on you
1: <laughs> in, in my childhood i wanted to be a lawyer i wanted to be i wanted to be like. Dun dun! Law and order, like lawyer person, that was my dream because I'd seen lawyers on TV and I was like, they're cool. They get paid a lot of money and they're cool. And most lawyers Heck i yeah. on TV were like hot. So I was like, I want to be that. And then you know I got into Canadian law and I was like, oh, this is really way more boring than I expected it to be. So kind of halfway through my disability career, of doing my master's at Carleton U and back in like the early 2000s. Also, I feel old saying that, but like I, you know, doing my master's, I realized that like. I don't necessarily want to go into law. I want to look at disability activism. And then for me, a big thing around activism was like, I want gay men to pay attention to me and I want to be sexualized positively and I want to to get laid and I want all these things to happen to me and I want relationship and I want all this stuff. And so maybe if I start talking about sexuality and disability, um, um, then they'll pay attention to me. So my advocacy kind of came from, if I'm honest, a selfish place of like, I want gay men to notice me. If I turn myself into an activist, or not an activist really, cause I don't know if I'd love that term, but if I turn myself into like a disability awareness consultant, um, maybe they'll pay attention to me. And that's kind of where it came from.
0: Mm. I uh, personally, I mean, I'm only one individual, but I wouldn't call that selfish whatsoever. Um, you know, I think, I think it comes from a very sincere place. And you're doing a lot of amazing work that that is assisting, not only informing, you know, cis white straight people about the queer community, but also uh, debunking and challenging, you know, the law and what we have in place around disability and how how able, how disability has so often been in the background of discussions um, and really bringing it to the forefront. Not
1: even in like, we would love, look, Many disabled people right now during the pandemic would love it if disability was even in the background. It's not even in it's not even in most discussions. Yeah. Unless you're like trying to be inclusive and diverse and all that like bullshit buzzwords that we use in like when we talk about marginalized communities, inclusion and diversity, I hate it so much cuz it's like huh, you're only doing this so you can like market yourself as amazing. Can we can we find a better way to talk about this please? I hate it. It makes me cringe every time. And most of my job is working with inclusion and diversity, like places and universities, and so I have to just swallow it and be okay with it. But deep down inside, I'm like, we need to find better language for this.
0: I I could not agree more. I, I think it's easy to grab those buzz, buzzwords and run with it, but we need to know what the uh, <laughs> what flavor is there behind. Like you're like what your is your actual is intention your intent? with us? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like. I I do consulting and work on the side. And my goodness, I can't even tell you the amount of times that people just like throw DEI out there. And I'm like, okay, like, but what are you actually doing? Like, yeah, are, they- are you just pulling these out of your ass and being like, okay, hey, cool, this is our DEI strategy. And I'm like, okay, there's nothing in here when it comes to, you know, racialized individuals. There's nothing in here when it comes to disabled individuals. There's nothing in here like... You're, you're missing so many people. If you're just focusing on women or like white, cis, straight women, yeah. then you're missing everything. You're missing like trans women. You're missing
1: like so many other disabled women. You're missing disabled women of color. You're missing like so many populations that you should be speaking to. And like, I think diversity and inclusion, like I'll take your money to check your, to check your box. And I've done that so many times for-, for for universities and for, you know, groups. And I love doing what I do. And I'm very proud to help you check that box. But at the same time, like, fuck, can we do,
0: we have to do more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, I'm a, I'm a big believer personally that it all, all it takes is one individual to just start asking those questions and being like, okay, like we need to be doing more. Like we're missing X, Y, Z here. Like let's work towards doing that. Let's reach out to someone who's actually within these communities to to f- actually go through and figure out where we're, what we're doing wrong. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and invoking people to do that is is always the trickiest part, but <laughs> gotta start somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I wanna bring it back a little bit again. Um, so you said uh, in, in your experience in particular, um, dating and, you know, navigating sexuality is a is a difficult aspect. And if I can dive into this question. I'm ready. Are you ready? All right. Um, so how are you navigating the dating scene as a disabled queer person? Like, are there resources out there that you're finding are helping you out? Are, like, how are you making connections? Especially during COVID, see? I think that's... <laughs> You can see me shaking my head. I don't
1: date yeah. anymore. I've not that I've given up, but I'm just fucking exhausted. I don't have the energy to deal with your ableism. I don't have the energy to deal with my own internalized ableism when it comes to dating. Because, no, no, if I'm dating a white, let's, let's just make an example of a white cis non-disabled guy, they're going to have ableism around how do you, how do you engage the disabled person as a sexual partner, or as a dating partner, or whatever it is, and then I'm going to have internalized ableism on top of that of like are they going to leave me? Am I good enough? Does my disability like scare them away? And all that shit is fucking exhausting. And I just don't have the bandwidth or the energy for that. So I haven't really looked for a proper date in a good long time. Um, I think if I can get good sex and, and have sexy times in whatever way that comes, whether that be through hiring a sex worker or whether that be through like a, you know, an occasional hookup, like I'll take that when I can and I'll, again, not that I've, not that I've stopped looking. So any like dudes who want to hit me up, go ahead. <laughs> but like, you know, I just think that, um, it's exhausting. So I've haven't really done a lot of that.
0: Yeah. And and would you say, um, in particular over the past few years with COVID accessing, you know, sex work or, or hooking up with individuals, has it been challenging for you?
1: Oh yeah. The last three years, um, you know, I didn't see, I, the last time I saw my sex worker, uh, before the pandemic started was February fifth, twenty twenty. The next time I signed wow. for a session was October seventeenth, twenty twenty one. So we basically didn't have any in person sessions for a year and a half, and that forced us to like look at digital space to like how do we how do we have sessions that aren't about touch. And it was really hard for me because I really enjoy sex and i like fucking and i like you know i, I like a lot of different things and in, in my sexuality and not being able to have that and only being touched by care workers for a year and a half and knowing that and that, you know when the pandemic started we had no vaccines we had no anything mm-hmm. for for what was happening so none of us knew when this would stop and so or when this yeah, i should be clear it hasn't stopped yet uh, or when it would you know feel safe and it still doesn't feel safe in a lot of instances but thank goodness, like I'm going for my fourth vaccine on Monday. You know, I don't know when this coming out, but on when we're recording on Monday, I'm going for for my fourth dose, and I'm so excited. I'm so grateful that that's there, and I will take fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth doses of whatever I need to to be okay. Because I think that I want to stay safe, but I also want to have access to to sexuality when it feels safe to do so, and these doses help me do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, everyone deserves to be intimate and I just uh like I I just I can't imagine over the past few years like how difficult it is for anyone like, trying I mean, to access Like if I can us. be
1: if I can be really blunt Go for it. I'm a whore basically. I like I like I'm a Hell I'm, yeah, own it. I, I, I like being really slutty and I like like I'm a, wh- I'm a whore basically. <laughs> I, li- I like sex, and I'm not ashamed that I like it. And I I wanna <laughs> I want to put all the dicks in my mouth um, all the time, and you know, and I and so not being able to do that, and I mean, it's even even pre pandemic. Like I would only rely on my sex worker because I found meeting guys on the apps and meeting guys and trying to meet them in conventional ways was fucking impossible to do, and like. I would want to meet a guy and they'd be like, Oh, you're disabled. It's too weird for me or I can't deal with it. Or like, I'm so sorry. You're in a wheelchair. Like, but can you still fuck? And it's like, well, come, <laughs> over. like come over and I'll show you. Or uh. like, maybe I don't want to spend time with you. So like sex work has been something that I'm really proud that I get, that I'm really privileged that I get to have access to because it is like upwards of 300 bucks an hour for, for, for to work with a person. And I'm mm. lucky that I'm a freelancer and I get to do that, but a lot of disabled people in my position don't have that money, and don't have those funds, and I think the government of Canada needs to decriminalize sex work, not regulate it, because I don't want the government telling me whose dick I can suck, and whose dick I can't, like, but you know, it needs to be decriminalized, and disabled people need to be given a stipend, like they do in Denmark, and like they do in Mm -hmm. other parts of Europe, where they're given, I, I don't know the exact way it works, but I know they're given, like, 1200 an extra thousand a month to like do whatever they want with it and a lot of people in europe use that to hire workers why isn't it something that's funded by our healthcare system because i'll tell you when i wasn't touched for three years i went through a fucking huge depression and i couldn't say i'm depressed because i haven't had cock in a year and a half but like that's what it was it was like i need somebody to touch me and to like Make me feel sexual right now. Um, and I wasn't getting that. And so it was really hard for me. And so when my sex worker and I finally felt safe again and we got to like reconnect, I cried when we, when he first showed up at the door. Cause I was like, I don't know how to feel about this because like I wanted to have a session with you for a year and a half and we had to stop.
0: Yeah. Well, and pe- people forget that for whatever reason, like humans are, you know, we're very intimate physical beings like we need to be touched by other people regardless if it's in a sexual manner romantic just platonic whatever like we need to be together and you know the past three years have been so isolating that like people are forgetting that they need to see other people and they need to socialize they need to see folks um and it's just yeah like i'm just it's crazy and
1: you know they deserve it is what yeah saying you deserve positive touch and like when you don't get that from anyone for three years and the only people you see are caregivers who put on gloves who like were wearing basically for the last three years it's kind of softened now but for the last three years they were wearing face shields masks like double gloving so it it was so intensely medical because everyone was batshit scared of what you know and over the last two years we've had in the place where I live, I have I, I live in a, a subsidized apartment and I have care that is right downstairs. So if I needed them, they come up. But um, over the last two years, we've had 10 staff, 10 or 11 staff get COVID. And wow. so we went through like, a. we were just, all of us were scared. And so only having the interaction with scared care workers, touching your body and doing so in a medicalized way with boundaries and all these things that are important really takes you out of your body and it's like oh well my genitals are only there to be cleaned and i guess i can't you know i guess i guess i'm not a sexual being
0: anymore mm-hmm. and it was it made it really hard yeah yeah and and just just to to ask as well um so you and your sex worker how long have you known each other or been working together i'm, I'm yeah, not too sure the proper term so <laughs>
1: yeah we've known each other but we've been well we knew each other when we started working together. So about almost this October, I'll be five years. Um, and I'm really, really proud of our relationship because he like, he came over a couple of weeks ago and painted my house, like painted my walls for me. Cause he's like, I want to make it look nice for you. Like, can I help you? And Aww. So, like, he, <laughs> the, he Painted my house and put up pictures. And like, he understands the value of what it is he's providing. Cause not only are we having sex, like, we'll go grocery shopping together. We'll do that kind of stuff. Like, it's not just about I'm gonna suck your dick for hours and hours. It's like I want companionship too. Yeah. What I, what I like about it is there's no like emotional expectation of like boyfriendy or partnership. You know what I mean? There's no like, well, I'm your partner, so you have to do no. Nah. There's like he you he, he has partners and he has a life outside of me. And when we're done our sessions, he goes back to that and I go back to my life and we'll we text you know, all the time and say, hello, how are you? Like, how's it going? And that's nice. But it's nice because like, I don't have to, I don't, I'm not confused that we're, you know, partners. Mm -hmm. There's a very clear delineation of we have a working friendship and that's great.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's really important. And I, I think a lot of folks too, when they, when they think about sex work, like they just think of like one night stands or, you know, like just paying someone at, cheap motel, and then you're running off kind of thing. And that's great for some people. But I I, I think so often, folks don't hear like this side of it, where it's like long term, you know, relationships, and that there's so much trust built between two people and, and it's positive and happy. And, you know, yeah, like I tell him
1: all the time, he's the longest relationship that I've had with a guy ever. And so like, it's important for me to recognize that, but also to recognize that he's person outside of me and to expect things that you would in a in a non-working relationship is not fair and so when we first started working together he kind of had to see because I got because because my because I'm disabled and I don't get to explore that very often I I'm the kind of person when it comes to like boys and sex and love and all that so I, I get attached really fast so I, I feel got, you. I get attached like way too fast and at one point I was texting him upwards of almost like a 100 times a day and he had to be like He sat me down and was like, dude, I can't do my job and also live my life if you're constantly bombarding me with all this stuff. Like, I appreciate it, but like, this is not, this can't, you know, we can't do it this way. And I was initially like, well, fine, I guess we won't. And he was like, I'm not, I'm not saying that I don't want to be around you. I'm saying that this, we need to set a boundary and it's okay. And so, like, I really appreciated that because he wasn't saying, you're disabled, you're too much, I can't deal with this. He was saying, I get you're excited, but like, you have to tone it down a little bit so that I don't feel overwhelmed. And that was a really, it was a hard conversation for me, but it was necessary because it,
0: it reminded me that, oh, there is a boundary here Mm -hmm. and there has to be, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So- just noticing the time here, my goodness, we've been flying through lots of great discussions. Um, but uh, I want to give you the opportunity to unapologetically uh, plug yourself. Um, but uh, what are some some good resources for cis straight non-disabled listeners uh, who might want to further their learning or knowledge? Um, they should
1: listen to my podcast, Disability After Dark. It's award-winning. It Just want to Canadian Podcast Award in 2021. Yay, thank you. Uh so that's a great resource and I talk to it used to be a sex podcast only, now it's like an everything podcast where or an every and everything and disability podcast. So like I talk primarily about disability every single time, but it used to be only about sex and disability and now it's like I talk about everything. So that's a great resource. Um I launched not to plug
0: myself, but I will. Listen, I said unapologetically plug uh, everything.
1: <laughs> so like, you know, I also launched a sex toy company with my sister called Bumpin. We're launching the first line of sex tech for and by people with disabilities and people with hand limitations. We have our first toy, the joystick that looks like if a, if your favorite body pillow had a place to hold your sex toys, that's basically what this toy looks like. Um, And you can go to get bumpin.com not only do we have the toy we have a book that we curated in 2020 full of stories from disabled activists all over the world talking about sexuality and disability um it's really it's a really valuable resource every dollar you spend at our store goes in to help us create the toy so if you want to really do something good for the disabled community and, and you know give back to people trying to do stuff buy a toy or donate money so that we can we can give a toy away or whatever it is, like help us do that. Um, And then other resources, like I'm just trying to think what, what, which other, that's not me, Kelly Trace. I don't know if you know, Kelly Trace, she's a Halifax native. She lives in Toronto now, but she's a, a relationship therapist in Toronto. And she wrote a book 10 years ago called hot, wet and shaking. That's about her experience of being disabled and, and, looking and having sex and being sexual. And that's a really great resource, a really awesome book that I highly cannot, cannot recommend highly enough, really important. And that's a great resource for people to start, to start thinking about sex and disability, because you know what, all of us are going to become disabled and we should start talking about it now.
0: Awesome. Well, that's all for me. I appreciate you taking the time, Andrew, um, was, if there's it was, anything else.
1: I mean, I'm, I'll just quickly plug where you can find me. And-
0: yes. Yeah. Go for it.
1: I give a lot of uh, I give a lot of hot takes on disability on Twitter. You can find me at AndrewGerza underscore on Twitter and Instagram. And then if you want to book me for talks or anything like that, you can find me at andrewgurza.com.
0: Highly, highly recommend. I, I heard you uh, chat at uh, what was it, the landing place? Oof. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It was and you had a really great, great talk there. So uh, highly, highly recommend. Make sure you you go on his website and book him. Yes, please. I
1: could use the dollars it's a pandemic. Thank you.
0: Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much, Andrew. I really, really appreciate you taking the time out of your your busy schedule to to chat with me and for being vulnerable because you know I, I I thoroughly enjoyed chatting oh, with
1: no, you. Oh no, it was fun. And I mean and and thank you so much for having me. That's all the
0: time we have today, folks. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Hey Sis. The conversation doesn't have to stop here, though. If you would like to get in touch with us to ask us a question or share your story on a future episode, you can email us at connect at simplygoodform.com or visit us on our website at www.asis.com.